At this time, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We have a couple sermons left in, in going through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're new here, my name is Tony, and, uh, and I'm pastor here at LAFC. And we really enjoy going through the Scriptures and letting the Scripture inform us about life. And this book, quite frankly, hits hard it, 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 because it doesn't let you stay on the surface of things in life, but rather it goes to the deep parts of life and it goes below the surface and hits the heart. We're going to be looking at a text today that may be the most popular text uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians and talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the side, if you will. And, uh, and then the first part of this text is probably the strangest part of the text of 2 Corinthians. And so it's going to be an interesting uh, journey as we go through this, but it's, it's all in preparation of under something, understanding something extremely personal. By the end of this message, I believe we will all relate to what Paul is going through, and I believe it will touch you deeply. And so let's ask God to prepare our hearts to receive this. So Father God, I am asking right now that as we go into this text, I know that right now there is an unsuspecting uh, approach to listening to this. We, people came in here not knowing necessarily what we were going to teach. And yet they may come back from and go back home having heard this and being completely provoked deeply in their heart and, and deeply moved. So God, I pray that the outcome is this, that when we walk away from here, we're resolved to trust you. We're resolved to trust your ways even if we do not understand them. And so God, carry us along in this. Give us understanding and be patient with us that we may be able to understand that your grace is enough. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the context is, is rather interesting. And again, Paul's wrapping up a letter where he has confronted the broken relationship between him and this church. And, and if you, I'm going to take you back even further. When he, in his first letter to this church, the book of 1 Corinthians, he began that letter talking about the divide between or the different factions of the church based on who they liked of the pastoral team, if you will. And so there were some that were bragging about, well, I follow Apollos. And others were like, well, no, no, no. Our planter was Paul. We follow Paul. That's who we should follow after. And Paul confronts that spirit and that energy and says, no, you should be following Jesus. Apollos and I are merely servants of Christ. You should be following Jesus and having your eyes on him. So if you understand that's the original uh, part of his ongoing letters to them, then you'll understand a little bit what's going on here in chapter 12. He's speaking to them in such a way about issues uh, that, that have been very personal to them and they're struggling with, but now he needs to talk about the fact that some of them are becoming quite enamored with Paul because God was using Paul greatly around the Roman Empire. In fact, his, 
his uh, name had risen up the charts, if you will, in popularity. And, and so uh, while there was a broken relationship, they were starting to exalt Paul even above all other apostles. And so Paul is, is struggling with how to communicate that, yes, God is doing powerful things through him, but no, do not exalt me beyond what is normal, and that is I am a human being just like you. And so Paul is going to share probably his greatest secrets. One being his greatest secret is something completely amazing and, and, and would make your jaw drop and then go, go become completely transparent on his darkest hour. And so let's begin with the most incredible moment that he had withheld from them and starts in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says this, I must go on boasting... Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into uh, paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one should be permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except my weaknesses. Even I should choose to, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because what I would be speaking is truth. But I refrain so that no one may think of me more than what is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Let me stop there in the middle of seven. So Paul is sharing that, okay, I want to talk about visions and revelations because they were happening, and they were happening to him, and God was using them to bless the church. But again, there's a temptation when something incredible happens through an individual that you praise the individual rather than the source of the manifestation. And so Paul was concerned about this, so much so that he had withheld a particular story. You see, up to this point in Paul's journey, people were hearing that, that Paul had actually healed some people. God had used him, and there were some miracles that had happened around Paul. Paul had also stood before some of the elite of the elite of the Roman Empire and gave a good defense of the gospel, where even priests of other religions were giving themselves over to God. Paul had gone into cities where there were certain uh, things of sin that were just so grotesque, and entire cities were now being transformed by the gospel because of Paul's leadership. All this information is coming back to Corinth, where he had been for a couple years. But it's been two years since he was there, and they're hearing of all the stuff God's doing through him, and there's an opportunity maybe where it's like, wow, Paul's really got it. He's, he's the man. He's the one we should have our eyes on. He's the truly the one that we should exalt and, and be enamored by. But Paul said it's important to address these visions and revelations, but to do so acknowledging that visions and revelations or miracles of any kind need to be looked at. Those come from God, so praise God alone. So in the context of this, he shares a story that he had kept to himself for 14 years. Now, he suggests and he speaks to this as a third-person story. But to almost every commentarian I know, we're pretty confident 
that Paul's actually telling his own personal story. So the personal story that happened 14 years before is that a revelation had happened or a vision. And he says, you know, whether it was an in-body experience or out-of-body experience, which again, I said, weirdest part of the text is 2 Corinthians, right? So a weird moment, he's saying, listen, only God knows whether it was an out-of-body or in-body experience. All I can tell you is I was caught up to paradise and I saw things I can't even express to you. I can't even describe them to you. They're so inexpressible. And there are things that I heard that I can't even tell you. I wouldn't be permitted to tell. Pretty strange story. But if you've got a man that's manifesting miracles and showing power and being an incredible communicator, imagine if he shared this story with it, that he was able to express things that he shouldn't have expressed or talk about things that would be hard to explain. It would be like a circus. It would be people showing up. It's like, here's a guy that's doing miracles, and he's actually had a vision from God where he has seen heaven. People are so curious about heaven. They want to know what it's looked like. They will will do anything to probably get any information you can. So when people have that that, that experience that's like uh, an afterlife experience, when they share the story, it often goes into books or movies. Because we have a fascination to want to know, what's it like beyond here? But Paul did not use this to his advantage. In fact, that's part of the reason why he's sharing it now, is to say, listen, I have this story. I have chosen not to share because it might cause you to think more of me than you should. It might cause you to think, exalt me more than you should. And so he's being very careful with this very very sensitive situation. But he credits this vision And all these revelations and so on as being from the Lord. So you need to hear that. He says these visions, these revelations, they are from the Lord. And then the story he shares is from the Lord. So in verse 5, you could think, okay, if you're a person that God's been giving regular visions to or regular revelation, and people are able to see it for being truth, it would be easy to accept the praise. It would be easy to be able to say, look at what, God has great favor on me, look what he's doing. And that's dangerous territory, and Paul knows it. He also knows it's not only dangerous territory for him, but it's dangerous territory for others as they look at him. So verse 5, he says, I will boast about a man who has seen things like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So even if I should choose to boast, verse 6, so even if I choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because what I'd be boasting about is actually true. But I will refrain from doing so. Why? So that you will not think of him any more or highly than you should. All right? So there's the context. People have been seeing the power of Paul. So they think. They've been seeing this incredible orator and saying, There's something incredible about Paul. Let's follow that man. And what Paul is doing is is stripping away their, their view of him as being something special and exposing the fact that anything he has that is good is coming from God. But then he gets real vulnerable. So if he's sharing probably one of the highest of highs of a revelation, a story that had happened 14 years before, 
Now Paul wants to show just how truly human he is. How truly weak he is. Look at the middle of verse 7. So in order to keep from people exalting him for all these incredible revelations, therefore God enters the picture. And in order to keep Paul from becoming conceited, in order to keep him from becoming conceited, and Paul says this in the first person, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient in you, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I will delight then in these weaknesses, in these insults, in these hardships, in these persecutions, in these difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Have you ever been there? We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Some think that perhaps it was a physical sickness that, that was hurting him. Some think it was maybe because his eyes, that he was struggling with an eye condition, as it's, it's reported in other letters, that he's having a, a tough time seeing. Perhaps it's, it's an issue of, a re, of, of an actual demonic attack where demons are, are, are playing a game against him. Now, he's not possessed, but they can oppress and they can affect. And, and so perhaps it's like that. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but what we do know is that it was so severe that Paul begged God to relieve him three times. Begged God to relieve him. Have you ever been there? Paul gives a list. He says, I now delight in these weaknesses or in these insults or in these hardships or in these persecutions or in difficulties. Have you been there where those difficulties or those hardships or those persecutions were so intense you begged God for relief? I have watched over the last year people in this church as we pray with elders around somebody begging God for relief, asking for God to heal asking for God to intervene, or praying alongside somebody that, that seemingly is under some kind of social attack where others are kind of coming against them for their faith or maybe or are under a false accusation, pleading to God for relief. Maybe it's a broken relationship that is causing you deep sorrow. You plead to God, change the other person's heart that will draw back together. You plead with God for reconciliation, and yet it continues. The hardship continues. The weakness continues. The insults continue. And the difficulty remains. Have you been there? Have you prayed so hard about something because it got way too personal or it was something that hurt you so much or you knew it was hurting somebody else so much that you were begging God, different from other prayers, you're going before God and saying, God, can you not provide relief?
Have you been there? It is so hard to look at children in the face when they see a parent suffering or they see relationships break and you're pleading with the children right there, pleading before God, reconcile this marriage or to heal this parent. And then when it doesn't happen, the child is left to say, where is God? I, in those moments, am pleading for God to reveal himself to those children. Please answer this prayer, God, so those children will know and believe as to who you are. Have you been there? Have something been so personal that somebody you love so much is suffering that you were just like, God, can you not answer this? Can you not change this? I don't want this anymore. Can you please, God, change the context? But it continues. Have you been there? I think most of us have. If you've lived life for any length of days at all, you've gotten to a moment where something was so intense and so hard you thought you couldn't make it or the situation warranted God, certainly God would have to intervene and change the storyline. But when God doesn't, how do you respond? Do you look at God and and get angry with him and begin to walk away from him? Do you become doubtful that God even cares anymore? Do you begin to feel apathy that it's just like, well, it really doesn't matter what I do, so I've just got to handle it? Or do you become so hopeless and broken that you stop living? Have you been there? Paul was admitting that he'd gotten to a place that he'd been begging God, pleading with God to change the context, and it wasn't changing. He was being vulnerable in this moment because it's basically saying, yeah, you're looking at me as this man of great faith, but I'm telling you right now, I have pleaded with God, and he didn't answer the way I'd hoped. One of the darkest years of my life was middle of 1998 going into 1999. My daughter was born in November of 98. And on that day, we found out that she was born with hip dysplasia. Doctors were pretty chill about it. We're like, what does that mean? We get educated and they say, well, we'll just put a brace on her and then as she grows, that brace will help her uh, become, you know, able to, to do well and to, do wa- to walk and so on. But 98% of the time, that brace does it. They just got to wear the brace constantly and then they grow. And I said, well, 98% of the time, what's the other 2%? And they said, well, surgery. And, and in those surgeries, if we have to go to surgery, 98% of the time, we can do it arthroscopically. of the time, we have to actually open them up and do surgery. It's like, okay. All right, so it's like, well, 98% of the time, you start thinking this is all good. And so we had prayed over this child in the womb. I had prayed, and I've shared this before. I prayed over her while she was in the womb and saying, God, I want this child to have 10 fingers, 10 toes. But if you hear nothing else, I pray, God, that this child will know you and will love you with all their being. I prayed those things almost daily for her. When she was born, to get that news, it's like, okay. All right, so we got to pray for her healing on her hips, and it's just like, okay, Lord. You know, so we actually invited the elders. 
Even though it was 98% that this could just be okay, we invited the elders to pray over her and anoint her, as Scripture teaches us to do. Well, all I can tell you is that by the end of the next six months, 2% became our reality. Everything they said was 2% became truth for us. This was the, like uh, three months into her life where we're dedicating her just like we did earlier today. That's my dad holding her, and that's Pastor Mike Wagner from uh, Hershey Free Church at the time. Uh, and, and we're dedicating her. But at this point, my heart is already heavy. You can't see that as I'm bowed in prayer, but I, my heart is already heavy. Like, God, be with this child. Let that 98% be true. Shortly after this, we discovered she's a part of the 2%. Next picture. Now, you can barely see this, but you see the pink on her legs. That is a, a cast because they had to do the surgery, and it wasn't arthroscopic. They actually had to open her up, both hips, multiple surgeries. For six months of her life, she was in a full body cast from her armpits down to her ankles. I missed her entire infant stage of being able to hold an infant. She was a brick in our hands. What was really tough is in the middle of this, we overheard a conversation with the doctor saying that he didn't think this child would ever walk. I admitted to my wife that I was ticked at God. We had prayed. We had sought the elders. And she kept being part of the 2%. We had done all the things you're supposed to do to provide for a healthy baby. But we got hardship instead. This led to a dark season where I began to be apathetic and actually even kind of despondent with God. I'm serving as a youth pastor at the time, and God's grace, I guess, <laughs> was fortunate through this time because I, I was struggling with God at this time. I wasn't struggling with belief. I was struggling that he actually loved us. I was struggling with believing that he actually cared about my prayers. And I was beginning to, to doubt the fact that God would actually heal anymore. It was a pointless journey to have had the elders pray over her. So I thought. Those were the dark thoughts inside of me. God was teaching me so much. All I can tell you is that that year I had to come to grips with the truth of God. That God doesn't always provide the best path that you think is best. But that there's a path that is different that he knows is best. And he was working us along that path, but I did not understand. And even looking back, there are things I still can't explain to you. All I can tell you is this. That just before she turned two, she started walking which was a huge blessing. And we're, we're thrilled to death, thinking like, okay, Lord, this is fantastic. We're, we're celebrating it. But then she went into an, as an, a unique issue with her throat and oxygenation. And she began to turn colors and not be right and healthy. We took her to the doctor, and he said, we got to do surgery right away. 
They removed her tonsils and adenoids and in an emergency procedure saying that she could only breathe through the size of a stirring stick. And she was using 80% of her energy, her calories, to just simply breathe. She was 18 pounds at age two. She was a sick little girl. She came through it. She began to be healthy. She was becoming vibrant. And then we discovered some of the other challenges she was going to have to live with for the rest of her life. You see, God chose for her to have a simple mind. But I will tell you this. God heard my prayer over her in the womb. Remember how I prayed? God, give her ten fingers, ten toes. But if you hear no other prayer, I pray that this child will love you with all her with all our being. I can tell you that while there's a lot of things I wish my daughter and I could communicate over, but through the simpleness, the one thing I'm absolutely confident in is that my daughter loves Jesus. Amen. So difficult. And we're on a journey that's, that's going to be a while figuring out how to help her future. And I wrestle with, why us, right? That's the same question that any of us, and I can look around as pastor, I got plenty of stories that are worse than mine and more challenging than mine. I can look around this room and I know the stories of how things are difficult. So then why does God choose the difficult path sometimes and chooses not to heal or to change the context? Why does he allow the hardship to continue? And I think this is where God had to do this work in me to bring about something better in my life. And that's to understand this phrase that is found in verse 9. And this is so important to receive. And that is, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. God is speaking to our hearts. And I had to learn this. Very, I knew it up here. I'd studied scripture. I'd gone through, uh, you know, I had a master's degree in Bible and so on. But I had it up here what that grace being sufficient meant. But now I got it here. I have to trust that the grace of God is enough in the midst of a journey that we have with our daughter. That it's enough. And that through this, the humble journey that this has been, that God will then utilize this experience in my life to bring about a greater power that you can clearly know is not the source of Tony Hunt, but rather the source of God. I am not the source of anything great, but God through me is the thing that becomes great. And that anything that is accomplished in this life while I still have life and breath will only be that from which God has done in me and through me. But how many of you are where I was at in that one year where there's anger towards God? where there's doubt towards God. There is apathy towards God. And your view of God is at its all-time low. How many of you are there right now? 
I think a lot of us may be. And this is where Paul says, listen, I pleaded, I begged God multiple times, and all I get from God is that my grace is sufficient and my power will be made known through your weakness. And Paul receives it. And then he says this right after that, saying, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I then delight in weaknesses. I delight then in these hardships, or in these insults, or in these difficulties. Because when they are battering me down, and it seems as though I'm weak, then God, through his incredible power, showing strength in me, showing hope in me, actually becomes the declaration that there is a God because otherwise you would see a normal person crumble. That there is hope because there is a God who sustains and is loving. You see, I think Paul had experienced his all-time low and he's admitting, I was low, but I realized something in this. The grace of God is what sustains me. I would, did not even deserve to be in this ministry experiencing these amazing things. And so why is it that I should ever say there should be no hardship? There should be no insult. There should be no difficulty. After all, it is in those things that God keeps me on my knees. It also keeps not only him humble, but it keeps others realizing we don't put our faith in Paul, we put our faith in God. So here's four takeaways. God, number one, God wants to be seen by you and others as the source of anything that is accomplished in your life. That people look at you and say, yeah, there's no way that you're the source of that. That is clearly a God working in you. So in order for that to be so, then you need to be seen about as common and ordinary as the next Joe or Sally. And then God then raises you up and uses you beyond even your wildest dreams. God also, number two, I look at this and say, God does his greatest work in a person's life when they're humble. So a humble heart is where God does his greatest work. I find that if I become prideful or I begin to look in the mirror and think, wow, you're incredible, that's where God needs to do a work in me and he stops working through me. A humble heart is God's greatest playground. It's his greatest soil by which he can do great work. And then thirdly, See the grace in the difficulties of life. If you're in the midst of that storm, if you're in the midst of something difficult or hard or inexplainable that just seems to be crashing in on you, look for the grace of God in the midst of it and let the power of God be displayed through you as you journey through it openly. See, I think Paul found great hope by being honest about what he was struggling with. I found that I began to heal once I admitted to my wife I was mad at God. Because then she was able to share her emotions. And then which caused us to be very broken. And I remember us both kneeling together in our bedroom praying for the first time in that manner. Pleading to God, but also confessing to God. So seeing this grace in the difficulties of life, and then letting the power then of God be displayed through you as you begin to have hope. We were starting to hear people at the end of this journey like, you guys seem to be holding up well. 
And we knew that that wasn't always the case. We knew that God was doing a new work in us and we were beginning to see good things happen in our daughter's life. But here's the fourth thing. The stories don't always end with a child walking. In our case, there's a continued challenge. In some cases, the person we pleaded for and begged God for passes away. In some cases, they don't pass away and they continue to suffer greatly. Some relationships are reconciled, others are not. How can we trust God when it happens that way? And this is where I think the meaning of grace comes through. God knows what he's doing. And then you also have to know that the character of how God is doing it is in your best interest. Not that you deserve it, but because it's grace. God is doing a work. He has good will for you. He is doing a work to bring about something great, even in the midst of something extremely hard. God, I don't know what hardship might be in this room, but I ask for mercy. Mercy when they maybe said to you that they are angry at you or they're ticked at you. Mercy in that they might have even stopped talking to you or praying to you. Mercy towards them if they have even demeaned your name to another because of your response. Then God, extend them grace and fill them back up. Show them your love that you may manifest your glory through them by a restored life. Help them in the midst of the storm to still stand, trusting in your response. For you are a good God, and you bring about the greatest of things. So Matthew Henry, who's one of the all-time greatest commentarians of Scripture, made this comment in response to this, that verse that we just read, where my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made manifest by your weakness. Matthew Henry says this, Grace communicates two things to us. It communicates the goodwill of God to you. The goodwill of God. It, this isn't about God as a killjoy, or that God does not have a plan for you, or that God wants to see you suffer. No, he's wanting to bring about the greatest, perfect you that he has designed you to be. And he is doing a work that churns the soil very deeply. So it's the goodwill of God to you. And secondly, that grace is the good work of God in you. It's the good work of God in you. It's not to you. It's his goodwill to you only, but it's also in you. And that he's bringing about a greater good in you. And I don't know, it may not be easily seen at this stage of your journey of a storm. I can tell you it took a long time before I could see the good in our context. And there are still days it's struggling. It's a struggle. It's an ongoing thing. But I can still see the goodwill of God. I can now see that he's working in me. You might be in the throes of it where you're in the darkest place where you say, I'm angry at God. Start with being honest and saying that and then plead for his help and mercy. And then you'll discover his grace. If you want to pray with someone this morning or discuss this with someone, uh, I'm available up here, but also somebody underneath the cross will be willing to pray with you and, and share the grace of God and, and maybe encourage you in the midst of your storm. Know that God is good all the time. Amen. You're dismissed.